All right, today we're in lesson 14. We're going to talk about encouragement and prayer. Now, this letter is really, I, to me, the, these are the first two letters that Paul possibly wrote that we have in, well, they are the first two letters that he wrote that we have in the scripture. But these first two letters, we're really talking about people, how to cope in the world they live in. Did you understand what I'm saying? Coping in the world they live in. So, you know, a lot of Christians are so bent out of shape right now about the way the culture is. It doesn't seem to be the same anymore. Cultures change. It's, it's a known fact. Cultures change. Every culture, according to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, is in a downward spiral. All you have to do is read that and you see that every culture, that includes the American culture, we are a Gentile culture. Well, you say, hold on a second, George, when I read that passage, that passage, my headings in my Bible say pagan or heathen. Okay? I'm going to point something out to you. That was, whoever put that Bible together, the headings in your Bible are not inspired. They were put there by the people who put your Bible together. It's really talking about Gentiles. You understand? Gentiles. Now, America is made up mostly of who? Gentiles. Folks, the world's divided into two groups of people. Jews and what? Gentiles. So every Gentile culture descends, spirals downward. If you want to know how it spirals downward, just read... Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. It'll tell you. And you can see that happening around us. Okay? Now, we are the church. The church functions in that downward spiral. And so we need encouragement. We need to be encouraged because life's not easy. How many of you have noticed that life's not easy? Yeah, you know, right. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, and we, we, for some reason, we listen to guys on TV that tell us that if you have faith, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. So how's that doing for all of us here? Seems to me the only people who are healthy and wealthy, and I'm not even sure about the healthy, but the wealthy is the guy on TV, right? And so you've got to, do you understand what I'm saying? This is the real world we live in, and the Bible tells us how to live in the real world and that's going to be especially true in what we're going to look at today because he's going to encourage them because they need encouraging because they're in the midst of the fire. They're being persecuted for what they believe in. They're suffering. Doesn't that sound like life today? Did you know what I'm saying? Doesn't that sound like life today? And so you need encouraged. You need to be um, strengthened. And so that's what this is about. He's going to talk about encouragement and prayer. We're just going to look at verses 13 through 17, which is 13 through the end of the chapter. So let's talk, first of all, about thanksgiving. So look with me at verses 13 through 14, and we're going to draw some truths out of this that you and I need to know, okay? So look at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief 
in truth. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of glory, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let's take a look here. First of all, he's going to talk about thanksgiving. Now, here's something that you and I need to grasp, okay? This is Paul's attitude about thanksgiving. It's continual. He told his readers that he always gave thanks to God for them. Always. He always gave thanks to God for them. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Do you think the Thessalonians were perfect? You think they were perfect? Do you think that he was just in love with every single one of them, that nobody there ever gave him a problem, nobody ever said a curt word to him, nobody said, hey, Paul, that's a little too long going to midnight with your preaching? Do you, do you think, are they perfect people? Lord, people, we live in a world filled with imperfect people who are going to what? Irritate you. Who one Sunday will make you mad. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever come to church and been mad at somebody because of the way they talked to you or treated you or snubbed you or something? And, and sometimes it's, it's, maybe they purposely snubbed you. I hope it's not. But sometimes it's because they got something going on in their life and they're distracted. But notice something. Paul says he always gave thanks for them. He continued. In fact, he uses the word bound. He was bound to give thanks to them. That's a pretty strong word. Do you, you know what I'm saying? It's like the word compelled. Like, okay, in my house we have chores. And we have a chore chart. And we've got, you know, this one takes care of these two things this week. The other one takes care of these two things. And our kids are bound to do that. Do, do, you, know, do you know what I'm saying? So somebody's got to gather the garbage and take it out. You're bound. Why? Because mom and dad told you. So you, you, you understand there's a force there that's compelling you. That's the same type of word we're talking about here. He was, and he felt bound. He felt like he had to give thanks for them. Not because he didn't want to, but because he was truly thankful for them. Now look, when we've got a group of people in our church, listen to me. One of the things that's going to keep this church the way it is, whether we get lots of people or not, is not that we, we just have a holy huddle and, and we only have a select few people. It's that we become thankful people for the people who are here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you've got to be thankful that people are here that will accept you where you're at and want you to go to be with Christ. You've got to have thanksgiving. Do you understand? You need to be a thankful person. Okay? Thankful person. Here, let's go on. He told his readers he always gave thanks for them. Here's the other thing. He was thankful that God had chosen them for salvation. He was thankful that they knew the Lord. Listen, okay, stop for a moment. We do irritate each other sometimes, don't we? Don't we? Okay. And sometimes, especially if they're immature in Christ... People who are immature in Christ, they don't know very much, do they? So sometimes they maybe say things, sometimes they maybe do things that you find offensive. Okay? Sometimes you find that you find that is 
maybe not right, and it irks you or something. But the point is, is you still need to be thankful for them. Why? Because what we know from the scripture is, if they know Jesus, God's working in their heart and cleaning up their rough edges. Do you know what I'm saying? So like for me, I, as a pastor, I've learned that I really need to be patient with everybody. And I'll tell you why. It took 30 years for me to get to where I'm at in my relationship with Jesus. I can't expect somebody to change, and we do do this, don't we, overnight. In fact, I don't want them to change overnight. I want them to have already changed two nights before. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we need to learn to be patient with people and be thankful. You know what? If they irritate you, wonderful, we'll still be thankful. Why? God saved them, and God is what? Working in them. And how do I know that? Because he says in the Bible, he who has begun a good work in you will what? Continue it until what? Till they go to be with Jesus. Till they go to be with Jesus. So he's thankful for people, thankful for the people around him, okay? So he was thankful that God had chosen them for salvation. Now let me just stop for a moment. Paul's thankful for them. Are you thankful for yourself that God reached out and touched your life and saved you? You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes we forget that one. We just assume. But Thanksgiving begins with realizing that if it wasn't for Jesus, where would you be? Do you know what I'm saying? If it wasn't for Jesus, where would you be? All right, let's go on. He stated that they experienced salvation as they were made holy by the Holy Spirit. That they experienced salvation as they were made holy by the Holy Spirit. Now here, listen, when you got saved, does everybody realize this? When you got saved, at that very instant of you giving your life to Christ, committing yourself to follow him by faith, by faith. He made you holy by his Holy Spirit. What do you mean? The Holy Spirit entered into your heart at that moment. The Holy Spirit entered into your heart at that moment. Why did he do that? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He is our guarantee and our seal for the day of salvation. So the Holy Spirit enters into your life. What does the Holy Spirit do immediately? He makes you, are you ready for this, holy. Now that's a hard one for us to, to even comprehend because if you're like me, you know your faults. You know the things that you struggle with. You know the sins that you commit, right? And you don't even think in a moment like, what do you mean I'm holy? If you had just thought my thoughts, you would know I'm not. Well, the problem is, you're not made holy because of you. He makes you holy. He makes you acceptable to God. Do you understand? Your acceptance with God has nothing to do with you, what you've done, what you haven't done. Your acceptance with God has to do with what Jesus did for you. He died on the cross to pay for your penalties for your sin. He gave you the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of the promise that I'm going to send another comforter. And he comes into your life and he makes you holy and acceptable. Do you understand? Has nothing to do with you. Does everybody understand that? 
So if I went around the room right now, and I will, what's your acceptance with God based on? Past week? Jesus, right? That's nothing to do with anything else other than Jesus. Period. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Does that mean I'm not going to sin anymore? No, no, no. You're a human being and you live in a flesh, a body that has been trained in sin. You're going to sin. But your holiness is given to you by who? Jesus. You've been imputed righteousness. I just think that's wonderful. Man, we should be thankful, right? Did you know what I'm saying? We should be thankful. Like, you ever, I remember as a teenager, when I got in trouble with my dad and my mom, and they lowered the hammer, it would be like weeks and months that I would, you know, you just kind of feel the air being thick in the room. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, do they really love me? Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Because, I, like, I know that I messed up, and boy, they dropped the hammer. And you know what I'm saying? You just had that feeling like, is there any acceptance there? I'm telling you, that's not the way it is with God. That's human experience, but that's not the divine experience with, with the Father. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's made you holy. You've experienced salvation because God has made you holy. Here's the other thing. He points out that they experience salvation through their belief in truth. So it's not just, it's, it's like two, two wings of a bird. You know what I'm saying? Ever notice one, a bird flying around with just one wing? You don't see that too often. It's, it's cat food, right? It takes two wings, so it's, it's the work of God, but it also takes what? Faith. And so salvation, in your salvation is experienced because you're trusting in what? Truth. That Jesus died for you. Truth that your acceptance with him is based upon what Jesus has done, not based upon what you've done. Okay? So he pointed out that they experience salvation through their belief in truth. Now, here's what I want you to see. The purpose of salvation. Now, here's what the purpose of salvation. Anybody can tell me what the purpose of salvation is? What? Okay, bring glory to God. That's good, Bruce. You've been reading your Bible. Okay. Once in a while. Purpose of salvation is not just so you have forgiveness. Purpose of salvation is not so that you have a free bank card to do whatever you want to do. The purpose of salvation is to bring glory to God and share in his glory. Paul states that they were saved so that they could share in the glory of Jesus Christ. Not just bring glory to him, but you get to share in his glory. You get to share in that moment of triumph and glory with him forever. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what I'm saying? Isn't that awesome? You get to share it. He saved you so that you could enjoy the rest of eternity with him in glory. Okay, so listen. Is this world, is this tough? Is this world tough? Do you know what I'm saying? It's tough. And it could get tougher. For some of you, it may get tougher. 
because you don't know what's coming ahead. And, and, the, and the reality is, is we need to hold on loosely to this world and not get too attached because this world is filled with suffering and hurt and pain. But we're going to, because we believe in Jesus, share in his what? Glory. Did you understand? There's something better coming. Something better. And man, talk about a reason to be thankful. Talk about a reason to be thankful. Here, I'm going to be honest with you. I guess it bothers me when I get this way and when I see other Christians get this way. When we get to the place where we no longer have something to be thankful for. That bothers me. It bothers me when I get there. It bothers me when I see it in other Christians' lives. Because here's what we've done. We have forgotten the very truths that we just went through. Of what he did for us and what's ahead of us. And I didn't have anything to do with it. Except put my faith and trust in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Something to think about there. Now let's look at the encouragement. Verse 15, he gives an encouragement. Look with me, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions which you were taught, either by word or our epistle. So he's going to give them an encouragement. Now that word, therefore, is referring back to what he just said about why he was thankful for them. Okay, so let's stop. Here's what he's saying. Therefore. What's he talking about, therefore? He's saying, because you've experienced salvation where God has made you holy and you believed in the truth. You are accepted with God. Why? Not because of yourself, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And you're going to share in his future glory. Those are foundational truths that everybody here needs to grasp a hold of. And because of that, here's what you and I need to do. He's going to give us an encouragement to do some things. Here's what he says. He calls his readers to stand fast or firm in the midst of all that they face. Stand fast or firm in the midst of all that they face. Now let's stop for a moment. I think we all understand that, right? I mean, I'm 51 years old. It hasn't been 51 sweet peachy years. I think we all know that, right? And I think we should be wise enough to know that as long as we're living and we haven't gone home to be with Jesus yet, stuff's coming. Things that we never expected. Now, here's the thing, though. He's telling you, he's telling a group of people who are in the midst of it, hang on. You stand firm. He's saying the same thing to you. You're going through it, whether emotionally, whether you're going through it physically, whether you're going through it in the terms of finances or whatever, whether you're going through it in terms of relationships, you're going through it. Hang on. You stand firm. You stand firm in the midst of all that you face, and I would even add to it that you're going to face. You want to write that one down? That you're going to face. You hang on to your faith, because here's what we do. When we're in the midst of it, are you like me sometimes? Oh, God, where are you? Have you given up on me? He hasn't given up on you. He's just telling you, hang on. Look at what I've done for you. 
Look at what's coming ahead for you, the glory. That's just awesome to me. Man, we need to hear that today, don't we? We just need to hear that. Hey, I can tell you right now why a lot of people are leaving the church. I'm going to tell you right now. Somebody sold them a bill of goods that once you come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Stop for a moment. How many of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time? You've yet to see everything turn out okay. Right? Well, somehow these folks bought a bill of goods that everything was supposed to be okay. But the pressure turned up. Things happened. Tra traumatic things happened. And they got angry with God. God didn't promise anywhere that things were going to be okay. He told you that you would share in glory later. And that he would give you strength now till later. This is the point. The point is, listen to me. You hang in there. You stand strong. I don't know that I can make it through the next hour. Hang on for the next hour. For the next two hours. Hang on for the next day. He'll get you through it. Remind yourself, he got you through things before. Isn't that true? If you can look back, you, you faced other tough times, and what? Jesus got you through it. Now, he maybe didn't take away the problem, and it didn't turn out rosy and sweet, but he got you through it, didn't he? He got you through it. Stand firm. Stand firm in the midst of all that they face. Here's the thing. He calls us readers to hold on to the teachings that come through epistle or spoken word. You want to know how you hang on? You don't hang on by your feelings. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you right now, yesterday morning, I wasn't feeling very good. I got to have eight hours of sleep, and because I don't know if it was the football game or whatever, on, on, on Friday night and being up with the kids and having to go pick them. I want to be in bed at 10. I don't want to pick somebody up at 10.30 at a, at a dance. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then have to get up in the morning to take them to an SAT and go get ready for the oil change. I didn't get my full eight hours of sleep, so I wasn't feeling really good. I was feeling downright miserable. I can't base... I can't, but it's okay to laugh, okay? All right, because it's happened to you, okay? Listen, I can't base my relationship with Jesus and whether or not he loves me, whether or not I'm going to make it through on my feelings. Because feelings can be deceptive. Feelings can destroy you. You have to base the strength and the standing in the midst of all that you're going on based upon what he told you in his word. Not what some preacher told you. Not even what I'm telling you right now. What you see in his word, whether it's an epistle or a spoken word, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? You listen and you hold on to faith based upon God's revealed word. You hold on. Now, don't go by your feelings. Do you understand what I'm saying? Definitely don't go by your feelings. And here's the thing. Don't go by other people's feelings. Oh, I just feel good about what your situation that you're going through. 
Yeah, well, the reason why you're feeling good is because you don't know what I'm going through. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't truly understand what's going on. I haven't told you everything. You don't know everything. So don't tell me you feel good. Don't go by other, other people's feelings. Go by God's word. Stand firm in that. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So he gives them the encouragement. Stand firm. Okay, let's stop for a moment. Anybody have questions so far? Comment, snide remark, brick you want to throw. Okay? Anybody got a question? Talked about prayer, talked about thanksgiving, talked about the encouragement. We're going to talk about prayer in a minute here. Anybody a comment or anything? Can we want to go on? Okay, let's go on. We're going to talk about his prayer now for them, which is, I believe, really how we should be praying for each other. Look at verse 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, the nature of God. All right, we're going to spend a little bit of time here because this is something you and I need to grasp, the nature of God. Because, I'll be honest with you, you can get the nature of God messed up in your mind. And so you need to hear what he's saying here. Paul directs his prayer towards Jesus and God the Father who has loved us. Paul directs his prayer towards Jesus and God the Father who has loved us. Now, here's what I want you to understand about the first thing about the nature of God is that he loved us. He loves you. Now, listen, before you start defining what that word love is, you need to be realistic about that word love. Okay, so how many parents do I have here? You have children. You raise children, okay? How many of you have grandkids? Okay, now, okay, stop. So I want you to think for a moment. You love them, right? Does that love mean that you give them everything they want and you let them do whatever they want to do? Does that, is that love? I know some people think that's love. Maybe the grandkids. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Beautiful poor children. <laughs> all right forget it. i'm talking about your children now i'm not talking about your grandkids okay i'm not talking about you i'm talking about your grand i'm not i'm talking about your children okay now is that love you better believe it it's not love okay so stop for a moment why do we think that if god says he loves us that's what he means because that's not love. That's not love at all. That's actually creating problems. And will create problems. Love is doing, loving them for their best. So therefore, if they require chastisement, which is what the Bible used for being taken to the woodshed, then God will do that. See, love is not just a blanket. You do whatever you want. I just love you. No, 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 no. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. Love has boundaries. Do you understand? And so but God loves you. 
And love sometimes allows you to go through things for your own what? Good, right? Love doesn't rescue all the time. Because sometimes the rescue ain't love. Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes the rescue isn't love. Sometimes for the sake of the child, for their own good, they have to go through what? The consequences. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a dad. I'm learning that. That's hard because dad, my temperament is, is I want to rescue. Do it for them. That's me. Okay? And I've got a wise wife who says, whoa, Nellie. Think about that. Okay? Think about that. So he directs his prayer to, the, to Jesus and the God, God the Father who has loved us. They love you with the perfect love. I don't want anyone here to ever think that God doesn't love you. And with that, I don't want anyone here to ever think that when you're in the midst of a struggle and going through difficulty, that somehow God has ceased to love you. He still loves you. Just like me, when I see my kids go through things that they have to face the consequences of their decision, I can't rescue them. I have to have them go through it so that they can learn from it. I still love them. Do you know what I'm saying? I still love them. Now let's go on. He directs his prayer towards Jesus and God the Father who has loved us. Now here's the next one. He's going to talk about the benefits of grace. He points out that God has given us eternal encouragement through his grace. Consolation is what my text would say here. He's given us consolation. That is eternal encouragement through his grace. Now, I want you to understand something. One thing I want you to grasp, God always loves you. It's a perfect love. Number two, God is always gracious to you. God is always gracious to you. In fact, Ephesians gives the picture of grace. Like, how many of you love the beach? I love the beach, okay? I don't like sitting around on the beach and sweating, but I love the beach. I like getting out in the water. I like fishing. I like eating fish. That's probably one of the reasons why I like the beach, the fish houses, okay? Well, anyhow, listen to me. The amazing thing to me is, is have you noticed, there is no end to the waves, have you noticed that? Have you ever been to the beach and it stopped? Uh, wait a minute. If it did, it's probably a tsunami. You better get out of there because the wave's coming back, okay? But have you ever noticed when you go to the beach, it's just what? Wave after wave after wave. It, there's no end to it, right? It just keeps coming. Wave after wave after wave. That is the picture of grace in the Bible. Grace upon grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. What's grace? Getting what you don't deserve. Mercy. Unmeritorious favor is the theological definition. Grace upon grace upon grace, upon grace. God continually showers you with grace. Now he's given you the eternal encouragement of grace. What does that mean? Okay, I told you. Do we continue to sin? What does sin do to us? Does it discourage us? It defeats us, doesn't it? 
When you think about that he shows grace, that where sin is, grace abounds even more, is that an encouragement to you? It better be. It better be an encouragement that God in his perfect love continues to show you grace. That's an internal encouragement. That's a consolation. God, I know I'm messed up. God, I know that I struggle. God, I know that I'm wrestling with this and I know I shouldn't be doing this. But God, you you love me and you still show grace to me. I don't understand that. Thank you. Thank you. Do you you understand what I'm saying? That's his prayer. He points out that God has, has given us eternal encouragement. Now let's go on. One other thing here. Not just that, he's given us hope. He also tells his readers that God has given us hope for the future through his grace. Listen, the fact that he keeps showing you grace, that should give you hope that there's something better, what? Coming. Something better coming. Something better ahead. Life stinks now. We got to wrestle with the stuff that we do that we know we shouldn't do. We got stuff happening around us that we've created for ourselves or that has been imposed on us. We don't know how to get through it. And, and, and it's like, man, is there any end to this? Yes. He keeps showing us grace in the midst of what we're going through. And what? That gives me hope. That's something. He's going to be with me through the end. He's going to carry me through to the end. And one day we're going to wake up and we're going to look on the city. We're going to see Jesus. And the struggle will be done. And the terrible things will be over. And what does he say in Revelation? He'll wipe away every tear. Wipe away every tear. The pain will be over. Wow! He tells his readers that God has given us hope for the future through his grace. Now, here's the request. So here's what he wants them to do, okay? This is what you and I need to do with this, all right? Verse 17. Comfort your hearts and establish, comfort your hearts and establish you in every work. And comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Here's what I want you to see. Paul prayed that God would comfort and encourage their hearts. He wants God to comfort and encourage them. All right, stop for a moment. That's what he's wanting God to do in their lives as well. Here's what the request is for you and I, okay? That's really what church is about. Church is about being able, after you've been beat up on all week long, coming somewhere where you can be what? Comforted and what? Encouraged. That's what church is about. But you know what? what I'm, I'm sad to say that a lot of people, their experience with church is, I got looked at in a way I've never been looked at before. Judgment. That's what some people's experience of church is. Being judged. Not being accepted. Thankfully, that's not true here. I hope it's not true. Don't tell me. I'll be disappointed. No, do tell me because we've got to do something about it. Okay? The fact of the matter is, listen to me. 
He's saying that God is to bring them comfort and encouragement. Who does God use to bring comfort and encouragement, folks? Yeah, the church. The church. Do we need comfort and encouragement? Oh, you better believe it, we do. Do you know what I'm saying? You better believe it, we do. Here's the final thing. Paul prayed that God would establish and strengthen him in works and words. That he would establish and strengthen them. Hey, has everybody here reached perfection as far as spiritual maturity? Has everyone arrived? No. We're all a work in progress, right? And so therefore, we have to be established in what? Truth. You always continually have to be established in truth. Why? Because the enemy is going to continually bombard you with thoughts and with false teaching to get you to be shaken in your faith. So you have to be established, but also you have to be established and strengthened in your works. What is your works? What you do. What you do. What do you mean what I do? Primary thing you do is what? Encourage each other as a church, right? Number two, this is probably the most neglected thing we, know, we, we should be doing, sharing with others so that they can hear about Jesus. Sharing with others so that they can hear about Jesus. Because let's stop for a moment. Everybody recognize the world's pretty messed up? Do you meet a lot of people who don't have any hope? Do you meet a lot of people like that? I do. They're struggling, don't know what to do. Do you meet people like that? Am I the only one? No. We have the answer. God. We have the answer. Next week, we're going to, when we get, get back, we're going to finish up with some exhortations.